Okay, let's open the scriptures to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But before we do that, let's just bow the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do give thanks this morning for our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. We have sung of him this morning. And Lord, we have lifted up our hearts to thee, O God. We've been reminded from scripture already that the Lord Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, on him we stand. On him we are accepted because he is the beloved one, your beloved one. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. And as we come to the scriptures again, your word, your truth, Father, keep our minds attentive and help us to understand and be encouraged and strengthened from these words this morning, we pray. These are these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to be reading this morning, chapter 15, and we're going to be starting at verse 35, and we're going to go through to verse 49. So please follow along in your text, please. Verse 35. But some will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Verse 38, but God gives it a body just as he wished and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a life, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man is from the earth, earthy, and the second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthy, and as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. I trust God will add a blessing to his word this morning. A question is often asked in Christian groups or maybe in families, Christian families. A question something like this, what is it going to be like in heaven? Of course, this question or others like it are asked on the assumption that 
there will be a, a resurrection makeover. A makeover that, that fits us out for that future heavenly environment. That's the assumption. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul here is explaining in this text to the Corinthian believers or those who are in the church and those asking these questions. He explains here that believers, and he's addressing believers here, he is explaining that believers will receive a resurrection makeover to make our, our unredeemed bodies, these bodies that we have now and that those early Corinthian believers also had, we will receive this resurrection makeover to make these bodies fit for an eternal abode. When we think about that, the questions, no doubt, can and often do go a little bit deeper on this divine makeover when we consider the innumerable number of believers' bodies down through history, which are in various states of decay. Some even complete obliteration. Some have been burnt to ashes, some have been decomposed to nothing, some have been devoured by wild beasts, some have been lost to the depths of the sea and a whole lot more other scenarios that we could possibly think of. So we might well ask, how on earth will those be raised and what kind of body will they have in heaven? And this is the question that the Apostle Paul either assumed or it was literally asked by these sceptical Corinthian believers. But this question, though it seems fairly logical, was not necessarily, I don't believe, asked out of a genuine inquiring mind in this original instance here in Corinth. The questions, both of them go hand in hand, we see them in verse 35, were asked out of a mind that belongs to a fool. You know that? Belongs to a fool. Many modern translations and even the NIV kind of soften this down. Wrongly, I believe. They, they try and soften Paul's approach here by inserting words like, how foolish, or you foolish man, in verse 36. But in actual fact, Paul here was intending this to be a personal, blunt rebuke. He wasn't softening this down at all. He was calling it what it was. His emphasis on the you, in the you fool. That is, a fool in the Old Testament sense of the word. That is thinking and living that is devoid of God, which Steve has been bringing to us over and over again as we have been going through Ecclesiastes. So a fool is one who thinks and lives without God in mind. And that's what these skeptics were in regard to, to the truth of a bodily resurrection. Their opinions and their thinking on this matter was devoid of God's power and potential. 
They were so bound up in their Greek philosophy of the day, which I've reminded you before, that denied anything physical, especially their bodies, could ever be changed or perfected for a heavenly home. They denied that. Some of us who began through the book of Acts will remember what it was like when Paul went to Athens, remember? They invited him to speak. And so he gets up there and he starts at creation and he, and he moves his way through uh, like, a, like a broad spectrum of the scriptures and he comes and he speaks of the resurrection of the dead and what was their response? They sneered, they scoffed at him. So Paul deals with this here firstly by calling these skeptics in Corinth fools. Now, I trust there are no fools here this morning. The Bible states that a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. We have that in Psalm 53 verse 1. A fool is also, in the biblical sense of the word, a a person who hears truth from God's word and deliberately ignores it or puts it off to another day. That person's a fool. A fool is one who who, who bows to the authority of his own opinion rather than truth and wisdom from God. That's a fool. Proverbs 28 verse 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So I repeat, I trust there are no fools in our gathering this morning in the biblical sense of the word. Then after his blunt rebuke, Paul proceeds to explain and answer their sceptical questions. He doesn't sort of leave them up there standing and and the text doesn't leave us up here sort of wondering either. He answers their sceptical questions and he does that by using very simple illustrations that were staring them in the face, no doubt, every day. And the first one is allow nature to speak. the Same identity but with a difference. We see this in verses 36 to verse 38. And so after bluntly speaking the truth to address the hearts of these sceptics, Paul then begins to explain how the resurrection is not such an unbelievable concept after all. He does this by using a common action of nature as an example. And they all knew this action. It was, a, it was a natural marvel. They knew it well because their lives, and no doubt they were involved in their work, depended on this natural action. And he points them to the cornfield or maybe a wheat field or maybe even to the garden plot. And he then takes them to the first similarity of the resurrection by reminding them how a seed that you sow will never come to life or produce any fruit unless it dies first. Now, I know that you will understand this. I'm sure. But just in case some of you have never sown seed before, some of you may not have, or maybe some of you lack the absolutes and botanical cycles, let me tell you, this is how it happens, right? It really does. When a seed is planted in the ground, it dies, it decomposes, it actually ceases to exist in its original seed form. This is a natural law that must take place before any life can be produced to form a plant from that decomposed seed. Marvellous, really, when you think about that, isn't it? 
Marvelous. Life out of death. As I was thinking about this, Jesus must have loved the botanical cycle. He created it, I guess, so he, he must have loved it because on another occasion when speaking about himself of what was going to happen yet future, he used the same illustration and he said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Have that in John 12, verse 24. In other words, Jesus, before Jesus, he was saying, before Jesus himself could bear any fruit of salvation for us, he had to die. And likewise, we also, in order to participate in that salvation that he gives spiritually, in, in, in the resurrection, in the blessing of Christ's resurrection, we too must die. Here, not physically, but spiritually, we must die to self and in faith trust in the living and eternal God. That's what our baptism declares, right? We have died to self and risen a new life in Christ. Taking this a little further, even, even in order to bear fruit for the Lord in Christian service, the botanical principle still holds true. We must die to self. We must live out in these unredeemed bodies the new life that God has given us in Christ. 2 Corinthians verse 5, 8. We are what? New creations in Christ. So, Jesus suffered and died. His earthly body suffered death. His incarnate body suffered death. And just as a seed must die before it can produce life, we too, listen to this, we too will die to give life to another. Another body, that is. But we also see in this section that though the seed we might sow is one thing, the plant that it produces is quite something else. We see that here. The other week, Sharon here, Bless her heart, gave me some seeds. Possibly to sow around this church. They were nasturtium seeds. Okay? That's what they look like, nasturtium seeds. Not very pretty, pretty ordinary seeds. Innocent, harmless, quite manageable in their packet. Thank you, Sharon. But you give those seeds the right kind of grave in the ground and they will produce foliage that you could play hide and seek in. The point is, folks, whether it's a seed or our bodies, after we die, the resulting new life produced will be very different from that which was originally buried. Some of us are probably saying praise the Lord a lot more than others on that. But please note, the identifiable seed dies. It does. The identifiable seed dies. But there is still... Listen to this. But there is still identity between what goes down and what comes up, even though it looks very different. You got that? In other words, what comes up is different from what went down, and that which you sow is different from, as we have in verse 37, that which is to be. And that's how it's going to be with us in heaven, folks. Same identity, but with a difference. How do we know this? How do we know this? Simply by 
when we think about the Lord Jesus when he rose from the dead. Though his body still bore the marks of Calvary and that happened actually, right? He said to Thomas, hey look, you wanted to check me out, see my hands, my feet, my side. So though his body still bore the marks of Calvary and when he revealed himself to his disciples, they recognised him as Jesus. But still the body that he rose with was different from that which was when he was buried. His resurrected body, for instance, for example, was not limited by time and space and matter and distance as was his incarnate body. What I mean by this... After his resurrection, he revealed himself and then he disappeared at will. Just like that. He appeared in an open room without even opening the door. John 20, verse 19. Remember the two on the Emmaus road? Here they were, travelling back to their town of Emmaus from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, travelling with them, kind of out of nowhere, Jesus happened to meet them on the way. It wasn't as if he was a faster walker and sort of kind of got up with them and going on the same road. No, he just appeared. And he revealed himself to them. And after he taught them from the scriptures, beginning at Moses and the prophets and speaking all things from himself, you know what happened? He vanished. Jesus never did any of those kind of things in his incarnate body. The resurrection radically changed the makeup and potential of Jesus' body. And when he returns, when he returns, all resurrected bodies will experience this miraculous resurrection makeover. But we learn something else about our resurrected bodies from this text. Though the seed must die and though there is a difference in the plant produced, we also see here that there is still a definite connection between what has died and what is brought to life. There's a definite connection. It says in verse 38, But God gives it a body just as he wished and to each of the seeds a body of its own. You see that? In other words, though the seed receives a resurrection makeover and has radically changed, it still has its roots, its identity in that dead and decomposed seed. The wheat seed, for example, will never produce a corn plant and a corn seed will never produce anything other than a corn plant. So what this teaches us is that the body we die in, though radically changed in the resurrection, our resurrected bodies will still individually and personally be our bodies. We will not lose our personal identity. We won't be just a whole lot of floating zombies around there with no names, with angels' wings flapping around. No, 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 nothing like that. We will not lose our personal identity. In other words, just as Jesus arose with the difference in the same body he died with, in a similar way we will also arise in our own body, which will be radically changed. As we think about this, if Jesus is kind of doing this all the time in nature, done it ever since creation, surely it's not too hard to believe he will accomplish this for mankind, right? Our second point is allow creation to speak. Created bodies, but a different, different splendours. We see this in verse 39 to 42. In this next section, what Paul does here is he further highlights that our resurrection bodies will be different than our earthly bodies. He gets really into it here and, and he wants to make sure this goes down. And he does this by uh, using the differences seen in our creaturely world and also our planetary systems. 
But firstly, note how with one succinct statement here, one succinct statement, he terminates, destroys, debunks the theory of evolution. By this word, all flesh is not the same flesh. That's what he says. Okay, that's what he says in verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. Now, there are different kinds of flesh, as we're told here in this text. And because of that, there is no progress from one kind of flesh to another. That's what this tells us here. There is an unyielding separation between the species, can we say. And that makes it impossible for there to be an evolving from one to another, like the evolutionists would tell us, that we were all one cell and a bit of primordial soup, and then matter came to be, and we all sort of evolved one for another. No, no. What this tells us is that God created man uniquely in his image, To be an earth dweller. You got that? There's no other creature on earth quite like us folks. Even though you may look at the ape or the orangutan or whatever and say, oh, well, well, there are similarities. There's no other creature quite like us. All creatures he uniquely created to suit their own habitat, their own environment, they are all different and some a whole lot different than others. Always have been, always will be. This is why polar bears are watching a program on telly on, on, uh, um, on program the other night about polar bears. This is where polar bears are what they are. And, uh, and it's amazing how they live and are able to breed against that harsh climate where we would not stand a chance. That's why fish can swim to great depths where we would be drowned or crushed. That's why birds can fly and some huge heights and some great distances where we are not made with that kind of inbuilt ability. They are radically different bodies and that's the point here that Paul wants to bring out. So sorry animal lovers, they are not like us and we are not like them and never will be because God created them different. Paul further illustrates the difference there will be between our earthly bodies and our resurrected body by getting his readers to note the differences in the stars and the planets of our sky. And uh, I think I've got the screen filled there. The glory or splendor they give is different. All very different. No two stars out of the out of the trillions in all the galaxies that we know, and even the ones we don't know, give the same splendor. None of them give the same splendor. They're all different. Now we know from even just our normal eyesight how different the sun is from the moon. But not only that, did you know that every star, every single star, is different? Every planet is different. Just like every animal is different, just like every human being is different, just like every single fingerprint in the whole universe ever has been, ever will be, is different. Folks, I'm sure you're getting the picture here, right? We have an awesome God who created it all with a unique and perfect difference, right? He did that. Why then, why then would anyone 
would only be a fool who would doubt that God cannot recreate and give us a new body that is uniquely different and perfectly suitable for an eternal existence. Only a fool would disbelieve that. That's why Paul says in the first part of verse 42, what does he say? So also is the resurrection of the dead. Just as the stars and the planets differ in themselves and are radically different to earthly bodies, so will our resurrected bodies be individually unique but radically different from what we have now. Don't worry, folks. Your individual identity will stay intact because we've dealt with that. Florence will still be Florence. Peter will still be Peter. Benji will still be Benji. As a matter of fact, the name you have now will be your heavenly name. How do we know that? Because Jesus knows us by name, right? No indication in the scripture that he's got a special other name for us. He calls us sheep, we're told, in John 10 verse 3. He calls us sheep by what? By name. And it's those names, our earthly names, those given by our parents, the names that were, that were recorded before the foundation of the world and are written in the Lamb's book of life according to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 20. It's those names that we'll have for eternity. So respect your name that you have now. It's of eternal value. What an awesome God we have, folks. Our different resurrected bodies will be our bodies as much as our spirits and our names will still be uniquely ours for eternity in heaven. Thirdly, allow our resurrection to speak once we were this, but then very different. We see in verses, this in verses 42, or second parts of verse 42 to, to the end of verse 44. What Paul does in this section is he specifically majors on the transformation, that divine makeover that takes place at the resurrection of the believer's body. And what he does here is he uses four contrasts to get his point across. First one is, 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 is about our durability. That's his first contrast. Or our, our durability, our ability to last the distance. On Tuesday evening, we all did a smile at ourselves and our home group. We kind of just sort of asked everyone's doing and what's happening in our week, etc. And it came to Jordan's turn and said, Jordan, how was your week? Oh, I had a great week. It was my birthday. And um, so we rejoiced in that. And but then he carried on and uh, before we could kind of interrupt. And he says, and I was made to realize that it was another week closer to death. Or similar words to that, okay? Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of absolute truth in what he said. There is. Like it or not, folks, the day we were born or sown, can we say, puts us in a spiral journey toward old man death. And for some of us, a whole lot sooner than we expect than others. We are perishable beings in this body. Our durability at best is 70 years, give or take a few. We are a dying people. I hate to be morbid, but that's what it is. Let's face the facts. And sin has done this. I certainly know it. My ears are shot, my eyes are fading, my pancreas gland has gone on a ghost road, my strength is not what I used to, it used to be. I am getting old and dying and my body shows it. 
But folks, look at what this divine makeover is going to do. I'm hanging out for this. Perfect eyes, perfect ears, perfect voice. The whole body system that will, that will never, ever pack up and perish. Karen, forget about the hip replacement, okay? No more. Benji, forget about the knee replacement, no more. No more broken arms either, by the way, Lee. Or sprained ankles, where's, uh, um, not here today. Durable. What an awesome body we're going to be have. Secondly, we see that uh, once our bodies were sown in dishonour, you see that in verse 43? Sown in dishonour. What this means is that our, our earthly bodies, in our earthly bodies, the ones that we have now, we lack potential, we lack the potential to perfectly, I say perfectly, please and give God the glory that he deserves. Why? Because sin hinders us. In other words, our potential to please God perfectly in these bodies is greatly hindered because these bodies are the vehicle that continue to harbour sinfulness. And they will do until the resurrection. Paul knew that. You read Romans chapter 7. In other words, they are dishonourable bodies, the ones that we have now being marked by sin, and that kind of body, folks, that kind of body, the ones we have now, believe you me, and you know it as well as I do, it needs a radical makeover to suit heaven, right? A radical makeover. We need radical makeovers in order to reach, and I say this using a bit of a cliche that's used around these days, it needs a radical makeover for us to reach its full, their full potential in worshipping and pleasing and giving glory to God. And it's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen. At the resurrection, we will be recreated with bodies that cannot harbour sin and only ever, ever, ever bring God perfect praise and glory. What an awesome time that's going to be. We also see that there's a contrast drawn between our strength now and our strength then. Where does it say in verse 43? Sown in weakness, raised in power. You see that? This has to do with our ability or our ability to stay off the hand of anything that would harm us. At the post office the other day, I was speaking to a friend of mine down there, and I noticed there were some stickers. Quite big stickers like that, you know. Fragile, handle with care. I honestly thought then that I should buy one and slap it on my back. Because, folks, you put me up against a common cold, you put me up against a flu bug or a virus or a back injury or a broken arm or a sprained angle or a broken arm, uh, you put me up against any of those kind of pressures, and I believe the common denominator, not only for me but for all of us, we will fold like ragdolls. But not then, folks, not then. Not in our resurrected bodies. We will be... Raised in power. Do you see that? It's really only then that believers can 100% truly sing, let the weak say that I am strong. Not sure exactly what the extent of that power will be, but for certain it's going to be a zillion times greater than we got now, right? 
No more colds, no more broken bones, no more tears, no more death, no more weaknesses in these resurrected bodies, just to name a few. The last contrast to highlight the difference between our earthly bodies and our resurrected body is to do with the spheres of our living. We see this in verse 44. One sphere is natural and earthbound, the other sphere is spiritual and heaven-suited. What this means is that one body has been created to suit its limited earthly environment, which we all experience now, while the other is recreated to suit its supernatural heavenly environment. One with its five senses is perfectly suited and limited for earth dwelling, while the resurrected body will be perfectly fitted out for its eternal heavenly home. That's what it's about here. Now, folks, in all this, we can be rest assured that there is going to be a radical change take place. Praise the Lord for that. The believer is going to be given a resurrection makeover that only eternity will reveal its glory and fullness. We're not told all the details and all those things that we might want to know. The secret things belong to the Lord, right? But we're told enough. And one thing is for sure, we will be suited for eternal, heavenly and supernatural living. Praise the Lord. That's when faith will give place to sight. Number four, allow our prototypes to speak. A bodily difference will be physically reflected. We see this in the last section. In our closing section, we have two prototype men. Sorry, mate. Two prototype men. And both these men have their likeness reflected in the progeny that they produce. The other day I saw a photo of a friend of mine and uh, with his three children all stacked around him. And I couldn't help but say to myself, wow, peas out of the same pot. His looks, his smile, his hair colouring, facial features were clearly reflected in his children. That's what the section here is saying. The first man, Adam, our earthly prototype, the one who was created by God firsthand out of the dust of the ground, that's the, that's the man who was created, by the way, perfectly for a limited earthly environment and created as God's vice regent over all the earth. He became, he became a living soul made fit for earth as God's caretaker. Yet despite his earthly perfection, he chose, as we know, to rebel and sin against God and, and then was marked with sin and its perpetual bondage which resulted in God's judgment. That's what happened to Adam. And since then, all mankind, including every single one of us and every single person that's ever been born, reflect this first man, reflect his characteristics, his limitations, his physicality, and also his spiritual status of being sinners and under the judgment of God. We read that in Romans 5.12. That's what we reflect. We bear this man's image. We are all peas from the same pot. 
But then there is another prototype. The second man or the last Adam. The second man is none other than Jesus Christ. He is from heaven as we see in verse 47. He is the prototype, not as Adam who received life and became a living soul, but as the man who imparts and gives the life-giving spirit. You see that? He's not the receiver, he's the giver. In other words, all those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour at the resurrection will receive not a natural body, but a brand new spiritual body suited for eternal heaven. As we now reflect the image of the earthy Adam, so too will believers reflect the image of the heavenly Jesus, our Lord. We shall be like him. I'm not sure of all the details here, folks, but I know what Scripture says in this regard. Let me read a couple of verses. The first one is in 1 John 3, 2. But our citizenship... Sorry, this one is not in 1 John 3, 2. The next, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our, a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And here's 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, it says, we are God's children now and we will not be And what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So the coming resurrection is the believer's hope and in the here and now also should be the believer's motivation. We should be motivated in life with this wonderful event about to befall any one of us, every every believer. Now, if you're not a believer, and it may may be the case, if you're not a believer, you're not left out of the scene because all bodies, all people were raised. As you are a natural man, you will also be a spiritual man. You will also receive a body. This text doesn't address that here, but we have other uh, texts that do address it. You too will be raised, but not for eternal heaven, but for eternal hell. So don't be a fool. For the believer, the issue we have in these bodies, they'll be put to rest. Isn't that wonderful? All the issues that we have, they'll be put to rest. Why? We shall be like him. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Shall we stand and I'll close with a a, a benediction well known from Jude. And then we can uh, retire from our service. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you.